What does it mean to be a human in today's world? More crucially, what does it mean to be a human first? To understand the truth about how your body, brain, and mind work, and to know yourself enough to truly love yourself. These are the questions we'll explore on this season of the podcast. I'm Dr. Courtney Tracy, a licensed clinical social worker and doctor of clinical psychology in the state of California, and I'm the producer and host of this podcast. Thanks for hanging out with a therapist off the clock. I hope this podcast leaves you with helpful, powerful takeaways, or at least your heart feeling a little more full or a little more understood. I'm so excited you're here and even more glad you exist. Settle in and let's begin. Last week's episode was a lot. I shared for the first time about how I was diagnosed with both ADHD and autism within the last, I don't know, eight or nine months being diagnosed with ADHD at the end of 2022. And then finding out that my primary diagnosis that I've had for the majority of my life is autism. It makes so much sense to me at this point. And we really are at a time where a lot more people are realizing that they're neurodivergent. And as wonderful as that is, sometimes receiving a label for the experience that you've had for the majority of your life can be really overwhelming. And at times it can be really helpful. I've noticed that when someone receives a diagnosis, moreover, when someone receives more than one diagnosis, people tend to roll their eyes and most often people tend to roll their eyes at this period of life where people are specifically being diagnosed with autism and ADHD at what many studies would call, or I should say many articles would call alarming rates. Something that I think is important to note is that when individuals are traumatized, and this isn't something we're going to address on this episode, but it's a very critical point to make. When people are traumatized, their brains can dysfunction, their bodies can dysfunction, their ability to communicate with other people and understand themselves can dysfunction. And through healing, those symptoms can start to get better. One of the things with being neurodivergent is that as much as symptoms can certainly improve, it's a specific wiring of how the person's brain, body, and mind work. And that's why I truly believe that these labels really fit my life experience. And I would say that I'm pretty educated and I'm able to tell the difference between when something is a traumatized symptom and when something is far more related to the way that I experience life, whether or not I'm going through something that is traumatic in the moment or that is reminding me of something traumatic that I've been through in the past. This episode is called BPD versus ADHD versus Autism a look beneath the labels. And as much as the title sounds like they're gonna go to battle against one another, BPD versus ADHD versus autism, I guess in a way I am gonna be doing that because I wanna look at what it's like to have all of these symptoms and, and these labels at the same time, how they present differently. So it's not that they're battling against one another fundamentally, 
but I do quite often feel like they're battling against each other within me. So I'm excited to talk to you about it today and I hope that it can provide you some help. The first thing to know about autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and borderline personality disorder is that they're all neurodevelopmental or psychiatric disorders and they can affect someone's behavior, emotions, and ability to function effectively in various aspects of life. There are some commonalities between these disorders, but before I actually get into discussing what those are, I wanna bring up a really important point that I saw in one of the research studies that I was looking at. It was a 2008 study, I'll link it in the show notes, and they said something very specific in the first paragraph of the introduction of their article, and it goes like this. Autism spectrum conditions are diagnosed by the presence of social and communication difficulties alongside unusually strong and narrow interests and or unusually repetitive and stereotyped behavior. We prefer the term autism spectrum conditions rather than autism spectrum disorder because it's less stigmatizing. Also, autism spectrum conditions is more consistent with the fact that these individuals not only have disabilities requiring a medical diagnosis, but also areas of cognitive strength. When I was referencing my diagnoses to my husband in the first episode of this podcast, I said something towards the end of it where I described my borderline traits and myself as somebody that has borderline personality, but that doesn't have borderline personality disorder anymore. I don't meet the criteria, but I do very much have borderline personality. And I really like the way that this study used autism spectrum conditions instead of autism spectrum disorder because when you're diagnosed with a mental disorder what that's saying is that the symptoms of this disorder are significantly affecting your life in a negative way it's affecting your life functioning your ability to work go to school your relationships and affecting other aspects of either your physical or your mental health. Not every single person on this planet that has autism has a disorder. Yes, our brains work differently. Yes, it is so difficult to live in a world that is not set up for the way that your brain prefers things to be. And it doesn't have to be a disorder. A disorder in a way implies that it's the symptoms themselves that are causing the ailments in the person's life. When in reality, well, of course, yes, some of those symptoms may be causing the disorder, but oftentimes in reality, it can be that the environment is actually what is disordered for the individual. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we continue this conversation. Each of these disorders has its own unique characteristics. Autism spectrum disorder or autism spectrum conditions are neurodevelopmental conditions characterized by challenges in social interaction, nonverbal and verbal communication, and repetitive behaviors or interests. ADHD is another neurodevelopmental disorder that's marked by patterns of inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. Borderline personality is a mental health disorder that's characterized by unstable moods, behavior, and relationships. Each of these disorders have very specific diagnostic criteria, but there is overlap in some areas. The biggest overlap between these three disorders are in the areas of emotional dysregulation and impulsivity. 
And when I was doing the research, that's what I realized that we found over the last 15 years, emotional dysregulation and impulsivity. We can see this kind of across the board. People that are autistic can have difficulties with impulse control and emotional regulation, but oftentimes for different reasons than, for example, an individual that has borderline personality disorder. And we'll get into that in this episode. One of the studies that I found took a look at individuals that had autism spectrum conditions and borderline personality disorder. The groups that were in this study were kind of lopsided. They had over 600 people with autism, a little over 20 people with BPD, 16 people with both borderline and autism, and then over 2,000 neurotypical controls. Regardless of that, it was a pretty interesting study. When individuals were given the autism spectrum quotient, which is basically a test that's going to determine autistic traits in individuals, obviously the people that were autistic scored the highest, but then the next were the people that experienced both autism and BPD, and then people that experienced BPD, and then the neurotypical controls. What this is saying is that people who have borderline personality disorder may be more likely to show autistic traits than people who don't have borderline personality disorder. And that could mean a few things. It could mean that the brain and body are working in similar ways. It could also just mean that some of the symptoms are presenting in the same ways, even though the brain and body are acting differently. Another really interesting part of this study was they gave these participants the empathy quotient, which is basically just measuring how much empathy somebody could have. And the people that had borderline and autism actually tested lower than people that just had borderline. Borderline is typically known and presented in pop culture, in movies, and often in clinical literature as being incapable of having any type of empathy for other people. And I just find it very interesting that this study at least showed that people with borderline can at times have more empathy or self-report more empathy than people that have autism. There's a lot of reasons for that. If you're interested to learn more about that, you can look up something called theory of mind that applies to both borderline autism and also other disorders. Now, one of the biggest things that really caught my attention when I was looking through all of this research, including when I added looking into ADHD along with autism and borderline, was that the combination of these disorders tend to lead to increased risk of suicidality and lifetime exposure to physical and or sexual abuse. And when I tell you that I have always wondered why I experienced such intense passive suicidality, seemingly more than other people who have had borderline, it's so helpful to know. It's so helpful to know that the more that these are piling on top of me, the more it makes sense that I feel so out of control or used to feel so out of control of my life that I just wanted something to make it stop. And when it comes to the lifetime exposure of physical or sexual abuse, that makes a lot of sense. There are so many aspects and symptoms of these three disorders that cause us to be impulsive, to enter into unstable relationships, to trust people when we shouldn't trust people, and to really just expose ourselves to dangerous situations, whether that's because we have really intense hyperactivity, we have really intense impulsivity, or we just have really intense relationships overall. Now, when I think about the simultaneous diagnosis of these three labels, 
Yes, of course, somebody can be diagnosed with all three of them. I have been clinically diagnosed with all three of them. I do think it's important to point out that it is relatively rare and that being able to receive a diagnosis like this is very complex because of the overlapping symptoms. The co-occurring rates between these disorders really vary, obviously depending on research, who was it that they researched? When did the research take place? Did the research have bias? How much accessibility did they have to the actual clinical population that they wanted to be studying? However, one thing is clear. Research does show that the co-occurrence between autism and ADHD is relatively high, with estimates ranging anywhere from 30 to 50%. When it comes to ADHD and autism in relation to BPD, it's certainly not as well studied, but the existence of one disorder can increase the likelihood of others. What I was able to find was that there is a relationship between autism and borderline. One of the studies found that there's a 10% prevalence of borderline in people with autism. So what this means is that in this study, people who were diagnosed as autistic, 10% of them also had borderline personality disorder. And there was a second study that looked at the exact same thing and found that 15% of people that were diagnosed with autism in this study presented with borderline personality disorder. Something that's really important for us to realize is that people that have ADHD or people that have autism are more at risk of being exposed to trauma. Now, what does that mean? It means a few things. One is when people that grow up with these disorders grow up in an invalidating environment, which by the way is one of the criteria for borderline, growing up being genetically or biologically sensitive, not having your environment be aware of that sensitivity, and then invalidating who you are as a human being basically, are two of the really intense precursors leading to borderline personality disorder. With people that are autistic or that have ADHD, there is something called real trauma or actual trauma. I don't like it being said like that. And then something called perceived trauma. And I think all they're really trying to get at there is did the person mean to traumatize the individual? And regardless of intention, the way that the person is impacted is what determines whether or not the person has been traumatized. So this study was saying that people that are autistic have a tendency to suffer from chronic exposure to trauma across the lifespan because we don't line up with the way the world works. We have a lot of difficulty feeling calm and feeling understood and communicating. We want things to be a specific way. We feel things so much more intensely than other people. And that can cause what's known as a post-traumatic phenotype called complex PTSD. People have talked about the relationship between CPTSD and borderline personality disorder. Are they the same thing? Are they different? And this episode isn't about that, but what's important to realize is that people that are autistic are fucking sensitive. We can be exposed to things that maybe other people wouldn't consider to be trauma, but they are traumatizing to us. And over time, people can develop what's known as complex PTSD, which looks like a disorder that has long-term instability inside relationships, that has emotional instability, an unstable self-perception, and maladaptive behaviors like substance use or self-injuring. There are major differences between complex PTSD and borderline, and I would say that the biggest one is this fear of abandonment and this really intense idealization and devaluation of a partner or of a favorite person 
person when it comes to somebody that has borderline. That's not necessarily as present as specifically in somebody with complex PTSD. So somebody that's autistic that's traumatized, somebody that has ADHD that's traumatized may develop borderline, may develop complex PTSD, may develop anxiety or depression, or may just live with their symptoms, which seems like it sounds like an easier thing to deal with if you don't have any of these other diagnoses on top of it, but it, I'm sure that it's not. Obviously, the exact causes of these disorders and how and why they all occur together is difficult to understand, but as you know from anything that you've ever read about mental health disorders and how they develop is that it's usually a combination of genetics, neurological conditions and environmental factors. One of the biggest questions that I think that I've received when someone has found out that I have all three of these disorders is how can we prevent ourselves or the people that we love in our lives from developing all three of these conditions? And one, I wanna say that it really is not the worst thing in the world to have all of these disorders. It can feel like the worst thing in the world, certainly at times, but it's important to realize, I think more so how somebody cannot develop borderline personality disorder or how somebody cannot develop a relationship between themselves and the world if they have autism or ADHD that causes their symptoms to cause them and other people so much significant distress. And really the answer of how to prevent all of those things from happening is to see the individual as a real person, to look underneath the labels. And if they don't have the labels, then to just see them as a human being that may be different than you, that may see and experience the world differently than you. I fully believe that my and my family's lack of awareness that I was autistic really contributed to my development of borderline. I felt so unseen growing up and it's a hard thing to really say because as much as there were some obvious moments where I was unseen, like when I was literally being neglected or emotionally or physically abused, but more so it was that it didn't feel often that there was enough time for me to exist in the world that I was brought into. I showed up in the world one day and I didn't have very much room to live. It was very hard to be seen. It was very hard to be heard. And there were many reasons behind that. It made it difficult for me to develop a sense of self. It made it difficult for me to learn how to regulate my emotions when my emotions in terms of other people in my life were just in their way were just too overwhelming. I wanted things to be a certain way. I wanted to be controlling. I wanted to be comfortable. And that looked different to me than it did for the majority of other people in my life. And it became overwhelming. It became scary. For the people in my life, my mother truly, I believe, felt like she did not know how to handle me. She didn't know how to raise me. And she's told me that before. So how do we stop comorbid or multiple diagnoses? That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is how do we stop people from feeling like they shouldn't exist? There's a reason why I have the tattoo that I have on my neck that reads sort of like the Justin Bieber tattoo on his neck. If you've seen it, it goes down the right side of my neck and it just says, I exist. And it's sad that I need to tell myself that and remind myself of that every day that I look in the mirror because for so long, I didn't think that I did. I think that people that are autistic and people that have ADHD, when they feel like they shouldn't exist because their life experience clashes so significantly with the experience of life, that we can develop maladaptive behaviors and our symptoms can get worse.
worse so much to the point where we can develop a personality disorder. And we've seen so far in the research that that's absolutely possible. There are a lot of different treatment strategies for these disorders, and they would definitely need to be tailored based on each individual. People that have autism usually require interventions that help improve their social communication and also help reduce their repetitive behaviors and rigidity. This can look like things like this can look like occupational therapy, social skills training, speech therapy under some circumstances. But really what it's about is regulating your internal sensory experience, accepting that the world functions the way that it does just enough for you to actually not be so emotionally overwhelmed every moment and being able to learn how to communicate with the world around you. ADHD is usually treated by a combination of medication and behavioral interventions, while borderline is usually treated by psychotherapy, like mentalization-based therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy. When someone has multiple of these diagnoses, it's going to present significant challenges, both for the person with the diagnosis and their families. In episode one, you got a little bit of insight into what it's like for a married couple in their early 30s to find out that one of their partners has three of these diagnoses, always has or primarily always has for the borderline aspect of it, and that they have been missing the causes of the difficulties that they've been experiencing for decades and that that's been the main cause of the problems. It's enlightening and it's devastating at the same time. Some of the issues that people experience when they have all three of these are higher levels of daily stress, increased likelihood of academic difficulties, which I did not have, greater needs for mental health services, and potentially greater financial burdens related to treatment. There's really one aspect of my three diagnoses that I want us to take a look at. And that is how for over 10 years, I initially believed that I only had borderline personality disorder. And the reason why I lived for so long thinking that that was just the solution and the label to slap onto my symptoms was because I looked at myself simply through the lens of trauma. And there's a really big conversation going on right now about if everyone's experienced trauma, if some, if only some people have, what should be considered trauma, what shouldn't be considered trauma. I mentioned that slightly in this episode where I said that there's a difference between real or actual trauma and perceived trauma. But again, I think that that can get really messy in terms of saying that some people's perceived trauma was an actual trauma, when in fact it was if they perceived it to be that way and their body, brain, and mind interpreted it that way. What I'm now learning to apply to myself, which I already knew to apply to my clients and to other people. I mean, I put a book proposal together that got auctioned against between seven to eight different major publishers in this country that talk about the fact that the body and the brain also play a significant role in how we mentally function and not just our mind, not just the trauma that we experience that affects the way that we see the world and act psychologically. We know that trauma affects our body as well, but it also affects our brain. People that are neurodivergent definitely understand that a little bit more. But when it came to applying it to myself, I was so okay with the story simply being that I was traumatized. Therefore, I developed borderline personality disorder. And what I'm realizing now when I look at the criteria for borderline personality disorder is that yes, 
I know I still have it because of the way that these symptoms can present in my life through the lens of borderline. However, I now also realize that there are many times that these borderline symptoms aren't caused by borderline causes. They're actually caused by autistic causes. And I'm excited to share that with you today. So we're gonna go through each of the nine criteria of borderline personality disorder. And I'm gonna discuss with you looking underneath the labels when these symptoms present and what I think the different causes are, whether they are autistic, ADHD, or borderline and why. The first two criteria for borderline personality disorder are unstable, intense interpersonal relationships and efforts to avoid abandonment. So how does this show up in individuals with borderline personality disorder? Well, often it shows up like idealization and devaluation of the person that's closest to you, of the people that are in your relationships. And so in one moment, I'm so happy that this person is loving me and caring for me. And in the next moment for my own protection, I want nothing to do with that person. And I want that person out of my life immediately. And when it comes to efforts to avoid abandonment, often that doesn't show up as much in the autistic presentation, but when it does come to borderline, what that looks like is going above and beyond to make your life fuse with that other person and to get really upset when we feel as though these individuals in our lives are going to abandon us or we just perceive that they're going to abandon us. When it comes to unstable, intense relationships in someone that's autistic, social difficulties present all throughout development, especially in their earliest interactions. And this is one of the biggest differences between borderline and autism when it comes to these relationship difficulties. It's that from the very beginning, someone with autism had difficulty forming relationships. Someone with borderline tried tried and could have engaged in certain relationships if the relationships were open to actually engaging with them as well. When it comes to this instability in relationships for borderline, people can often say that people that are borderline are very controlling and they very much can be to the point where they don't want the person in the relationship to abandon them. But autism also has this symptom of rigidity and it can appear as controlling behavior. And so it can come off as unstable and intense, but for different reasons. This criteria in borderline, unstable interpersonal relationships, can present in somebody with borderline because of traumatic control and emotional fear, but it can also present in someone with autism because they have unrealistic expectations and systemized rigid ways of thinking in terms of how other people should act. Two very different reasons that can present the same on the outside. I have this happen to me constantly, even when I think about my relationship with Max. I think about moments where I feel as though I'm being controlling because I want him to be in a relationship with me and I want him to be by my side. Then there's other times where I can come off very controlling and these are more so the situations now than me thinking he's going to abandon me because if he was going to abandon me, he might have done it within the last 19 years and still hasn't. When I appear to be controlling nowadays, it's often a result of my autistic rigidity, of my desire to have things be a certain way so that I can function most efficiently. And at times he gets in the way of that. And I've been working on my responses for sure, 
But one thing that's really important is to recognize the difference between when my controlling behavior in my relationships have to do with fear of abandonment or have to do with fear of my environment not being as effective as it can be for me to get things done that I need to get done. BPD criteria number three and number seven are identity disturbances and chronic feelings of emptiness. How does this show up in someone with borderline? It shows up and looks on the outside like not really having an identity of who you are. Sometimes a categorical presentation of someone with borderline is someone who has a different clothing style every other week, changes their hair every other month, finds different friend groups constantly because they aren't quite sure who they are and has a tendency to feel empty because of this lack of sense of self, this lack of acknowledgement of who they are and the fact that they exist throughout their life, whether from parental relationships, caregiver relationships, or early, early relationships in regards to friends or romantic partners. In somebody that's autistic, these identity issues could stem from masking and camouflaging to fit in from a lack of self-exploration due to being so concerned with the outside world. For people that are autistic, they also have special interests that really fuel their identity and fulfill them to a degree. When I think about how I was struggling so much in the spring of 2021, where I thought the reason why I'm struggling so much is because this business is too overwhelming, I need to sell it. What ended up happening was that I got worse and not better. And I think that part of that is because I have borderline personality disorder, borderline personality, and difficulty with having an identity and having a sense of self, but I was able to fulfill that identity and sense of self with my special interests that come from autism, with my desire to understand systematic and organizational processes that occur in behavioral health organizations. And I lost that special interest. I lost the systems. I lost the intense interest ability and I got so much worse. It was such an interesting relationship to find out about like a year and a half, two years later, when we found ourselves asking the question, why the hell are her borderline symptoms getting worse when her stress has become reduced? And it's because often this, these identity issues and these feelings of emptiness and not knowing who I, who I was were fulfilled with the work that was overwhelming me. So as you know, from episode one, it was not the best solution to my problems. BPD criteria number four, self damaging impulsivity. This can look like things from a borderline presentation of substance use, promiscuity, leaving jobs, leaving relationships, feeling significantly unstable and damaging yourself along the way in impulsive ways. This isn't as frequent as it is in autism, but it is really frequent in ADHD, which I spoke about earlier. And again, ADHD and borderline do occur often. In BPD, there's a lot more impulsivity like sex, spending, driving too fast. In autism, it's a lot more about risk aversion. And I find that really interesting. Something else that I found in the research is that substance use is typically low in individuals that have autism, 
but people that are autistic may use substances to cope with sensory inputs or stressors. This was such an interesting thing to come to terms with. I spent the majority of my life using substances to numb the way that I was feeling sensorily. I never really understood why I needed alcohol to engage in conversations with my best friends because the bars were too loud and there were too many people at the parties and I didn't like what I was wearing and the alcohol tasted bad. All of these things sound like such annoying things to complain about, but there was so much going on within me sensorily and I had no ability to have a normal conversation with someone because I just don't really care about small talk. I truly, truly, truly do not care. And what do I mean when I say that? I mean, I care about you and I care about what you find important, but my brain has such a difficult time paying attention. It has such a difficult time holding my energy and my attention to listen to you as much as my heart wants to. And so it became a lot easier to use substances to have conversations, to use substances to be out there in the real world. And coincidentally, I would turn to substances whenever I wanted to be impulsive in terms of my borderline personality. I would turn to substances the moment that I just wanted to get out and let loose, the moment I wanted to be impulsive and go live my life and do whatever the fuck I wanted. That was me in my teenage years and in my early adulthood. It was so clear that this was a borderline presentation that it almost couldn't have been more unclear that the main reason that I found substances as helpful as I did as early as I did was because it numbed my body. As traumatized as I've been, I never really had trauma symptoms. I more so was just immediately trying to mask the way I felt on a basic level. It's not that I felt so hopeless and helpless. It was that I felt so trapped in my body to begin with. BPD criteria five, self-harm, suicidality, and self-mutilation. This shows up in borderline frequently. Self-harm is a very intense aspect of borderline. It can look like cutting, burning, other forms of self-harm, using sex as self-harm, which was something that I definitely did, any way to disconnect from my body. Non-suicidal self-injury, which is any type of self-injury where you're not suicidal, but you just wanna hurt yourself, usually indicates that the person with borderline has a lot of difficulty problem solving, handling their emotions, knowing that they're capable and have agency to solve the things that they want to solve in their life because sometimes you don't even feel like a person. And this behavior can often be linked to suicide or can lead to suicide. Non-suicidal self-injury is more common in people that are autistic than the general population. And that's important for us to recognize as well. People that are autistic and people that have ADHD, along with people that have other really debilitating mental health disorders like schizophrenia and OCD or eating disorders, really struggle to show up in the world because the world doesn't show up for them often. And it can be so easy to wanna to harm yourself because you're constantly harmed because then at least you're in control of something. When it comes to autism, suicidality can be unrelenting because the everyday quality of life is degraded by profound chronic distress. It's so overwhelming. BPD criteria six and eight, affective instability and inappropriate, intense, or uncontrolled anger. So what does this basically mean? This means mood swings and the inability to control yourself when you're fucking pissed. Why does that show up for people that have borderline? Because we are afraid of rejection 
And therefore, we would rather push people away and get angry at the assumption that they're, that they're going to reject us. So we would rather reject them. And also general abandonment. You will be afraid and have your moods go up and down if it's based around whether or not the person that is your favorite in your life at the moment is at risk of abandoning you or not. How stable do your relationships feel? And in addition, how stable are you making your relationship? It can be really hard to regulate your emotions and regulate your anger when you're so afraid of being alone. When it comes to autism, having mood instability or difficulty controlling your anger usually tends to show up in more uncertainty and tolerance, meaning that we wanna know what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, how long it's gonna happen for, what we're gonna have to do for it, and when we're gonna be able to leave. As an example, we want to know things. We wanna know how things work and exactly why they don't work. And we wanna know what's the percentage that they're not gonna work so that I can start to tell my brain that it may not work in this percentage and therefore I need this much coping to be able to get through it. But then if it's more than this percentage of it not working, then that means that there's something wrong with the system and I have every right to get mad at it and it's not something that I get, and it goes on and on and on. We do not enjoy being uncertain. We do not like routine changes and we do not like sensory overstimulation. We don't want to deal with things that we don't want to deal with because we're already dealing with so much that we don't want to deal with when it comes to simply who we are and how we show up in this world. And the last one, BPD criteria nine, transient stress-related paranoia or dissociative symptoms. Why does this show up for people that have BPD? Oftentimes, it can show up during instances where there's perceived or real abandonment and or interpersonal stressors. So as the relationships are becoming more tumultuous, as the relationships are going up and down and we're idealizing and devaluing and pushing and pulling and the person's leaving because we're not treating them well, this is when for someone that has borderline, this paranoia and dissociation can show up. Now, it can look similar in people that are autistic because they're more sensitive. They are more sensitive to environmental circumstances versus trying to influence others or be influenced by other people. We are trying to modulate our sensitivity. And so it's not that we start to experience paranoia or dissociation because we are too overwhelmed by our relationships, but we can instead experience paranoia and dissociation because we're too overwhelmed by our environment in general. We're simply experiencing really intense sensory overload versus really intense interpersonal overload. Of course, both can happen for either individual and it can become really overwhelming when someone is experiencing both. One of the last things I wanna say about looking underneath the labels of these three diagnoses is something called rejection sensitivity. This emulates so accurately the fear of abandonment in somebody that has borderline. Fear of abandonment in somebody that has borderline usually presents because they have had such difficult relationships throughout their development that they don't know how to feel comfortable or safe with themselves. They only know how to immediately feel comfortable and safe with someone immediately, but that becomes too overwhelming because they don't even know how to handle the love. So then they devalue because they're afraid of getting hurt again. When it comes to somebody with autism or somebody with ADHD experiencing rejection sensitivity. Our brains are simply sensitive. We are already so aware that we are different 
and have struggles connecting with other people and the world, that it's easy for us to sense rejection when it may not be there because we are so primed to expect it. Our brains are so primed to expect it and it's hurtful and it's harmful. doesn't mean it's always intentional. doesn't mean we're always being rejected, but it hurts and it's harmful and it's easy for us to get overwhelmed and be extremely sensitive to it. Overall, having these three diagnoses is overwhelming and really interesting. I've already been overwhelmed my whole life because I've already been experiencing all of these things. And it's helpful because now I have a label for these things. And as important as it is to look under the label, it's also important to know that the label exists because what the label allows me to do, what it allows Max to do, what it's allowed some of my family and friends to do is to go and then find out what's really going on underneath. And as you can see from just this discussion of the criteria of borderline, that it's not always as easy to know why something's happening as it seems. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. I really want to know what questions you have. And here's the best way to ask me those questions. Take a screenshot of this episode, whether you're watching it on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at human first pod, or if you're listening to it on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you find your podcast, take a screenshot and share it on Instagram, tagging me at the period truth period doctor. And if you're on threads, then you can go ahead and at me there and just simply ask me the question also at the period truth period doctor. Thank you again so much for hanging out with a therapist off the clock. And I can't wait to chat with you again in two weeks. Bye.